Good? Good. I hope you're doing well. I'm glad that you are here. Hey, before we jump in, I want to give you an update for our Beyond Initiative. And I just need to tell you that this is the most generous church that I have ever been a part of, ever. It's just amazing your generosity, not only your generosity through the crossing, but your generosity outside of the crossing. A couple weekends ago, we had our Compassion Sunday, and the crossing people ended up sponsoring another 55 children in Colombia and Ecuador through Compassion International. That brings our totals of church to about 600 kids that we're sponsoring in Colombia and Ecuador, which is just amazing that we have the opportunity to release children out of poverty in Jesus' name. Well, our Beyond Initiative, it encompasses three different things. that It's providing space for our kids, launching a new campus in Green Valley, and then some mission endeavors that we're doing. And we have had hundreds of families that have made significant commitments and sacrificial contributions to Beyond. We've had um, 82 families who have never given to the crossing before who are giving to the cause of Christ at this place for the first time. And I think that is a huge win. That to date, we've had 757 families pledge about $1.5 million, and that's on top of their normal giving. And I stand back, and I just find that staggering. Just the generosity that's flowing through our people, that our, that our church is already generous, and to pledge another $1.5 million over this next year is amazing. And some of you have planned to pledge, and you wonder, well, do I still need to? Well, that would be helpful if you're going to plan to do that, because that will help us make our plans moving forward. Some of you don't plan to pledge, but you plan to give, and that's fine as well. That our goal in this initiative is that everyone who calls the crossing home would give something. Now, our goal for Beyond was $3 million, and while $1.5 million is amazing as where we are right now, it is not $3 million, and so the last few weeks, our leadership has just been praying about this, going, okay, God, what are you saying to us? That we just need to, to listen to hear what God is saying, what we're supposed to do from here, and we feel like God is saying to us, just slow down a little bit, just take a deep breath. And slow down, and instead of letting our timeline drive us, we're going to let the giving drive the timeline. That God has called us to wisely manage all the resources that he has given us. And and we're going to let God decide the timing on that. So that may mean the construction in our children's building. It may be delayed six or nine months, or we might build that in phases. We'll let the people who know what they're doing speak into that and help us with that. We may not launch our campus in Green Valley until 2017. And 10% of everything that's given here goes to missions. And so as the money is given, then we'll just work with our partners and be able to release that money to some of these big projects that we're going to help them with. I I love what the Apostle Paul writes here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. And God blesses us, and we begin to use that blessing to bless other people. So I just want to thank you for your generosity, for advancing the cause of Christ. And I'll give you updates as we move forward and we know more in all of this stuff. Well, we're in week three of our series that we're calling Red Letters. We're looking at some of the harder teachings of Jesus. And Jody Hickerson and Lee Coat did a great job kicking this series off. I was speaking at a church in Indiana a couple weeks ago. 
And after the service, there was, there was this couple who met me at the front of the stage after the service. And I could tell by looking at the guy that, that he was rough around the edges. He had had a rough life. And he began to tell me a story. They had started coming to church just a few months before. And he had said, he said, tomorrow I'm going to celebrate six months being drug free. And I thought, man, that's amazing. Gave him a high five. And he just began to tell me about some of the destructive patterns of his life. He said, I just decided I cannot live like this anymore. He goes, or I'm going to be dead. And they had a brand new baby. And I pointed at the baby. I said, you know, the stakes are higher for you because your life, it matters. And the way you live your life matters. And I said to him, I go, are you a follower of Jesus? He said, yes. I said, have you been baptized? And he says, no. And then he leans in like he's going to tell me a secret. I thought I wasn't real sure what he was going to tell me because he's already told me about his drug addiction. He had told me about multiple DUIs. He had been thrown in and out of prison, and he told me that whole story. And so he looks around because he wants to make sure that nobody hears him. And he leans in, and he says, I sometimes have doubts. I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding. I don't even know what to do with you anymore. I've never known anybody who's had doubts before because I've never had any doubts in my life ever. And of course, I didn't say that. I said, of course you have doubts. Every follower of Jesus has had doubts. In fact, 100% of Jesus' original followers had doubts. You remember John the Baptist? John the Baptist was, was sent to, to prepare the way for Jesus. He's the one who pointed, saying, Jesus is the one. And then when he's about to die, he has doubts. He's wondering, is Jesus really the one? All 12 disciples had doubts. They had doubts about Jesus until after the resurrection. Remember when Jesus was arrested, they all scattered. We've even given one of the 12 disciples a nickname. We call him what? Doubting Thomas. How would you like that to be your legacy? You're like, I was one of the 12 disciples. I walked with Jesus. You know, I helped change the world. And people remember me centuries later as doubting Thomas. See, we all have doubts. We all have doubts. But here's the good news, that you can doubt and follow Jesus at the same time. All of his first century followers did. You don't have to have your doubts all worked out to follow Jesus. In other words, you don't have to understand everything to believe something. But here's what Jesus knew, is that your doubt can take you out. If your doubts go unchecked and you don't do anything with your doubts, your doubt can take you out. For me, I have doubts when I forget what the foundation of my faith is. I have doubts when I forget why I believe what I believe. I have doubts when I look at the circumstances in my life that I don't understand. And I begin to have these doubts in my life. There's two big categories that cause doubt. The, the first is we doubt when we wonder, is it worth it? Is it really worth it to sacrifice? Is it really worth it to follow Jesus? We're going through something and we wonder, is it worth it? And then the second thing is we wonder, is it true? Am I a fool for following Jesus? Is this, is this really true? You're going through some difficult circumstances in your life. Or maybe somebody that you love is going through some difficult circumstances and you begin to think, is there really a good God? Is Jesus really real? Or you look at 
what following Jesus demands of you. For those of you who are in high school or you're young adults, that this is going to be one of your struggles that you have, that you're probably dealing with right now. The struggle will be, is it worth it to follow Jesus? And if you decide that I'm not sure that it's worth it to follow Jesus, here's what you'll be tempted to do. Here's what so many of us in this room have been tempted to do. You will shift your focus from, is it worth it, to, is it true? Because if you can convince yourself that it's not true, then you don't have to struggle with, is it worth it? Well, if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to John chapter 6. We're going to look at this great passage where the disciples, that they almost let their doubt take them out. So let me give you a little bit of background of, of the scripture. Jesus has just fed the 5,000 people. One of Jesus' greatest miracles. He's fed the 5,000 people. Actually, it's probably ten to 15,000 because it was 5,000 men. So he's performed this miracle, and in this culture, food was a big deal because they never knew where their next meal was going to come from. There was no way of preserving food, and there was never enough of it. And so Jesus performs this miracle, feeding the 5,000, and then he sends the disciples to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And the next morning, guess what happens? Word gets out, and the crowd starts showing up for another free meal. I mean, they want to come and they want to be part of this free meal. And they find out that Jesus is in Capernaum. And so they get in their boats to meet Jesus. And they want some more of this food that they were given. <clears throat> we're going to start off in verse 26. And here's how Jesus answered. He says, Very truly I tell you that you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because, uh, because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. That they were coming out for free food. Now listen, this is the way free food works in our society as well. I remember when Chipotle opened, they were, they were giving out free lunch to anybody who came on that first day that they opened. And so the lines were not only all the way through the store, they were all the way around. It was an hour wait to get a free burrito. And I thought, as much as I want a free burrito, it's not worth $6 for me to wait an hour in line to get a free burrito. But we're like that with free food. We're, we're the same way. And it's pretty easy to hang around Jesus when all of your needs are getting met. That's what these people were doing. But Jesus is making a claim that eternal life comes from him. And Jesus begins to teach them that true bread comes from God. We're going to skip down to verse 34. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is saying that I can sustain you. That I can sustain you in this life. And I can sustain you in the life to come, that I am all you need. Going to verse 41, it says, At this the Jews began to grumble about him because he said that I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How now can he say that I came down from heaven? Well, they watched Jesus grow up. They're like, Isn't this Jesus from Nazareth? I mean, we watched him grow up. We wiped his nose. We know where he came from. And now he says that he came from heaven. I, I don't know if you ever have this feeling when you go to your hometown or go to wherever you grew up, 
that no matter what you've achieved, no matter who you become, they kind of look at you through the kid who was getting tickets and getting in trouble and getting kicked out of school. That's kind of how they look at you. And that's how they're looking at Jesus as well. Well, going on into verse 48, I don't have time to read the whole story. Go back and read this. But verse 48, Jesus says it again. He says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Here's what I've learned. That when you live your life focused on temporary things, you miss out on life. You miss out on life. Life is so much more than daily bread stuff. It's so much more than searching for things that only last for a few seconds or a few minutes or a few days. And Jesus says, if you will allow me into your life, it won't be temporary stuff. It's going to be eternal. It has eternal impact. Verse 52, then the Jews begin to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And at this point, you would think that Jesus would start to lighten the mood because the talk is getting kind of strange at this point, but Jesus just keeps going. And Jesus said to them, verse 53, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood is eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. And at this point, they're shocked because they came here for a free meal, and Jesus starts talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and they are totally disgusted at this point. They don't get it at all. They have no concept of what Jesus is talking about. But it will be a few months later that Jesus will be in an upper room with his disciples, and Jesus will do communion for the first time. He'll institute communion. And he'll take the bread and he'll break it. And he says, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. And then he'll take the wine and he says, this cup represents my blood that is shed for your sins. It's for you. It goes on, he says, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Jesus is talking about his sacrifice on the cross. Jesus is saying that eternal life comes through me, that I came down to give my life for the sins of the world, that I'm going to pour out my blood for their sins so that they can have forgiveness. And Jesus is saying, you have to take me. If you want this part of your life, then, then you have to follow me. Because I can give you something that you can't get anywhere else. Verse 60 says, On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is hard teaching. Who can accept it? They're like, Jesus, can't we just go back to talking about love? We liked it so much better when you were just talking about loving one another. You know, when you taught us how to pray, can we go back to that? Because that was great. We liked it yesterday when you were feeding the 5,000. Let's just feed the people again, and let's get over all of this stuff that you're talking about. Verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And this is the turning point in Jesus' ministry right here. The crowds went from the thousands to only a handful. And when it says from this time, it doesn't mean from this period of time. It's talking about from this event 
as a result of this teaching, many decided that they no longer wanted to follow Jesus. They were out. And the crowds began to leave. And the disciples began to say to themselves, is it worth it? Is it true? That we've been rock stars with Jesus for these past few months, and suddenly everyone is leaving. Is it worth it? Is it true? Is it worth it? Is it true? And then Jesus says to them, and maybe he's saying to you as well, in verse 67, he says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Suddenly following Jesus was going to be difficult. Suddenly following Jesus was going to cost something. You aren't thinking about leaving too, are you? And they are. They are thinking about it. They have no idea what hangs in the balance if they let their doubt take them out. They have no idea what hangs in the balance. Because at this point, they're beginning to waver. What they don't know is at this point is that Peter, James, and John, and the rest of the disciples, that they will help change the world. What they don't know is is that people will name their kids after them. That they will be so significant and they do not know what hangs in the balance if they let their doubt take them out. For some of you, you have no idea what hangs in the balance if you let your doubt take you out. You have no idea what God wants to do in your life if you let your doubts overcome you. This is such a significant scripture for me because I've had to wrestle with this very question because there are times where I've wanted to leave too. I just want to be done. I just want to get out. I just don't think it's worth it. There's times where I wrestle with that. And I read this passage, and it takes me back to a couple events in my life. One of those events is when I graduated from college, and I became a student ministry pastor at a church in St. Louis. And all of my friends were, were getting ordained. All of my friends who were taking churches, becoming pastors, were getting ordained. And ordination is just a ceremony to affirm a pastor into ministry. All of my friends were doing this, and, and I was not ready to make this commitment yet. I wasn't sure that I wanted to be a pastor with my life. In fact, I waited two years to be ordained because I just wasn't sure. And then I decided, I thought, you know what? I think I'm ready. I think think I'm finally ready to be ordained. And so we had this ordination service where the church got together. And my youth pastor was giving the message. And I was sitting right on the front row right here. And my youth pastor says, Shane... What you're doing today is you're signing up for life. Well, at that moment, I'm not making this up. At that moment, I'm thinking, what have I done? I have made the biggest mistake of my life. What do you mean I'm signing up for life? What are you talking about? And if the service wasn't about me, I would have got up and left. But I just sat there. And it's supposed to be like the highlight of a pastor's you know, ministry. This was like the low light for me. I'm like, I cannot get out of here, and I don't know what I've done. And I started thinking, I'm going to be poor for the rest of my life. I thought, I am never going to be able to own a Corvette in my life. Now, I didn't even want to own a Corvette, but that just went through my mind. I'm never going to be able to own a Corvette. And see, you laugh, but if you've been a Christian for very long, I guarantee that you've had a moment like this. We're suddenly being a follower of Jesus... 
isn't so fun anymore. Suddenly, being a follower of Jesus costs you something. And it's like Jesus says to you, you're not thinking about leaving too, are you? Well, a matter of fact, I am. And maybe you're going through a difficult season and you just wonder, is it worth it? Is it true? Well, here's what what Peter answers Jesus when he says, you're not thinking about going too, are you? And Simon Peter answered him. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? The answer is, yes, we've thought about leaving. But when I consider my options, to whom shall we go? I think this response right here is the game changer. I think this response right here changes everything for us. And I want us to say this out loud together because I think if you can get this into your mind, it will help you as you're working through whatever doubts that you face. And so let's just say this out loud together. To whom shall we go? Let's say this again. To whom shall we go? Now I want you to personalize it by saying, to whom shall I go? Let's say this together. To whom shall I go? Because this question right here, it cuts through the fog of doubt. This is the question that you address. Is it worth it? Is it true? To whom shall I go? That's the question that cuts through the fog of doubt. If not Jesus, who? If not Jesus, what? If I'm not going to follow Jesus, who am I going to follow? If I'm not going to follow Jesus, what am I going to follow? If you're in a place right now in your life where you wonder, is it worth it? Is it true? That's fine. That's okay. But before you go, you need to answer the question, to whom will I go? To what will I go? To simply step away from Jesus without knowing that you're, what you're stepping into is a risky decision. Listen, it's okay for you to question. It's okay for you to have all of these questions. It's okay for you to read and try to figure this out. It's okay for you to wonder. It's not okay for you to wander. And the question is, if not Jesus, then who? If not Jesus, then what? To whom shall I go? Because I will not go until I have an answer to that question. And this is a defining moment for Peter. Peter, is it worth it? Well, not right now it's not worth it. Peter, are you sure that it's true? Well, I'm beginning to have doubts. Peter, are you sure you made the right decision? Well, I'm not so sure. But I'm not going to go until I know. Doubt whispers, is it true? Jesus whispers, if not me, then who? Doubt whispers, is it true? And Jesus whispers to you, if not me, then who? Here, Peter responds to Jesus. And he says to Jesus, he says, To whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. That you have the words of eternal life. To walk away from Jesus is to walk away from the source of life. The disciples are saying, we've seen too much. We know too much. 
You are the only one who has the words of eternal life. When I was in Israel, I was in Capernaum. I was in the place where all of this happened. And just as a, as a time out here for a second, I'm hosting a trip to Israel in April. And I would love for some of you to go with us. We have a few openings that, that we still have left. And I'm telling you, it will do more for your faith in the eight days that you're in Israel than 80 church services that you could attend. There's something powerful about walking in the footsteps of Jesus and just seeing this for your own faith journey. It is a life-changing journey. Well, I was in this place. I was in Capernaum where all of this happened. And we were in the synagogue where, this, where Jesus would have taught. Capernaum was Jesus' home base when he was in his ministry. So we were in the synagogue where Jesus would have taught all of these things. And a friend of mine, Mark Moore, who's just to the right of me in the blue shirt, Mark was, was leading this trip, and he was talking about this event. He was teaching about this. And he began to talk to me personally. He says, because, he's Shane, I know that there are moments in your life where you wonder, is this worth it? He goes, let me just tell you the words of Peter. To whom shall, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? That we all have these moments that we just wonder, what is God doing in us? And it was a moment that I will never forget. I will never forget being there in that place, just reaffirming my own faith. And if you're wondering, is it worth it to follow Jesus? Here's some great news for you, that you are not the first one. The guys who spent time with Jesus the disciples who walked with Jesus had to wrestle through the same stuff. And of all the things that you're going to chase, of all the things that you chase after, do any of them offer eternal life? To whom shall you go? He alone has the, the words of eternal life. He alone satisfies my deepest need. He alone satisfies your deepest needs. And the disciples had no idea what was hanging in the balance at this moment. And I wonder for some of you, maybe you don't have any idea what hangs in the balance for you. Some of you have been thinking about walking away from Jesus. That maybe you came here tonight because it's what you always do, but inside what nobody knows is you're on the edge of just walking away. You're ready just to be done. Some of you, the reason you came was just to say, God, I'm just going to give you just one more try, one more chance, because you're at that place in your life, and you will never know what God would have done if you allow your doubt to take you out. You will never know what God would have done in your life and through your life if you allow your doubt to take you out. Maybe you're single, and you're trying to be a single Christian and do it the right way, and everything seems to be working out for everybody else, but not for you. And you've been trying to honor God with your sexuality, and you wonder, is it worth it? Is it true? You're generous, and you invest in kingdom efforts, and you start to think about the other things that you could do with your money, and you're thinking, is it worth it? Is it true? You stayed in a tough marriage for a long time. And you wonder, is it worth it? Is it true? 
Hebrews chapter 12 is a great scripture for us. Here's what the Hebrew writer writes. He says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. That Jesus is the author of your faith. He's the one who started it. And Jesus is the completer of your faith. He's the perfecter of your faith. And the Hebrew writer is telling us, you begin to fix your eyes on Jesus when you're growing weary, when you lose heart, you fix your eyes on Jesus. When you have those questions, is it worth it? Is it true? You will never know if you allow your doubt to take you out. Doubt whispers, is it true? And Jesus whispers, if not me, then who? And so you lean on Jesus. You fix your eyes on Jesus. That he started your faith. He'll complete your faith. And when you're growing weary and when you're losing heart, you lean into him and you lean hard. I want to pray for you. I want to pray over you. Because some of you, you are in a season of doubt right now. And the things that are going through your mind... Jesus, is it worth it? Is it worth the sacrifices? Is it worth the price that I have to pay? Because maybe you're in this season where you think that God should be showing up in certain ways and you just don't see God's hand. For some of you, you're just wondering, is it true? Am I crazy for following Jesus? Is this true? And I'm going to pray for you. And maybe for you, it's just taking a moment just to give this to God. Saying, God, I'm giving this doubt to you. I'm laying it to your feet. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for being a God who loves us through our doubts. That you would never leave us, you would never forsake us. And you see us in the midst of our doubts and you love us through them. God, I want to pray for those right now who have the question, is it worth it? God, that you would show up in their life right now. God, that you would make your presence known to them. God, for those who are struggling with, is this true? Is this all true? God, that you would would be present in their life. God, you would meet them at their place of need tonight. God, we thank you for Jesus who laid down his life on the cross for us. God, and we pledge our lives to him again. We fix our eyes on him. So we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.